we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. Right, Rhiannon and Gav, uh, today we're talking about yesterday's general election results. What did you make of the party's performances in Scotland? Uh, it was a very strange night, I think. Um, and I think a very disappointing night for many, especially um, if you're in the SNP. It was a kind of hard night to, to take. What I would say, though, is overwhelmingly in Scotland we won. I think it's important that we remember that. We delivered more MPs than the, the other parties combined. We gave our second best general election result ever, um, and yet we still feel disappointed. I think we definitely felt the Corbyn effect. I think um, we felt the Brexit effect as well. I think it's, yeah, it's a strange one. Gav? Aye, it was, it was strange, very strange. Um, I was particularly interested in how Labour performed and um, and what you know what we've been calling the Corbyn bounce, and I would really put it down to being the Corbyn bounce. I wouldn't put it down to, as Kezia Dugdale said, uh, Scottish Labour's unionism. I don't really think Scottish Labour voters have really any interest in that. Mm. I think they were connecting with Corbyn's radical manifesto. And I really hope Labour in Scotland realise that because, for me as a young person involved in politics, it's that's genuinely exciting for me, and I see far more in common with Corbyn than I do with Kezia Dugdale at the moment. And I'd much rather to see an alliance, you know, with the SNP trying to do some, some beautiful things down in Westminster with Corbyn. Um, but I think Scottish Labour really need to really need to realise that very quickly. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting points that uh, I've, I've saw being made is that even though the SNP have less MPs, they're actually they're, they're far more important in Westminster yeah. because really, you know, that, you know, they're, they're going to really make the difference. Um, in ways that they, they didn't have. Obviously, in the last two years, SNP MPs have done amazing things down in Westminster, but now we're going to make the difference in a lot of votes. You know, we can, we, and I think we have a lot in common with, with Corbyn's Labour as well. Just on the fact about um, Scottish Labour using this as a sort of argument for um, against another another referendum, I saw on Facebook there was like a group of uh, Labour activists in Lanarkshire and it was uh, four activists and basically they were taking a photograph and it was like, we all voted yes in 2014 and we're voting Corbyn this time. Yeah. So even amongst a lot of the Corbynites in, in Labour, in Scottish Labour, they still back independence. They would still vote for independence over uh, staying in the UK. So I think a, a large part of what it, it, it comes down to is the votes that we lost to Labour and particularly in the Central Belt and the Lanarkshire areas in Glasgow, for example, it is that, that Corbyn effect where um, people are basically warming to him. A lot of these working mm-hmm. class, traditional working class, traditional labour areas are warming to Jeremy Corbyn's well, his, his rhetoric and his policies. But in those other areas where uh, the Tories gained, I think that's just, I think that's just a, a, essentially a galvanisation and a continuation of the Tory performance in the recent mm-hmm. elections. And that if we look at <clears throat> the SNP as a whole right now, where where they are after twenty fifteen, it was always going to be completely impossible to repeat fifty six seats. It was just a perfect storm 
that allowed the SNP to, to achieve so much. But what what has happened now is that because the SNP for a long time had replaced Labour and still do, I think, um, as the party of social justice in Scotland, is that that sort of um, uh, ideas don't actually fit within a lot of these more rural conservative seats mm-hmm. where it won't go down. So there's been a realignment where the party heartlands used to be in these rural uh, areas, especially in the north, and it's now moved to the central belt because that's where Labour's heartland was, yeah, and we've quite, filled that role. We're quite an urban party now, and I think, yeah, I think our party just did kind of change last night in, t- in terms of what we would understand to be your stereotypical SNP supporter. I think you're absolutely right. I think, for me, the, the Yes movement's always been a movement. I think if it, my Twitter timeline's anything to go by, I hate people who make political predictions off our Twitter timelines, <laughs> but um, a lot of people from the Yes movement that I know voted Labour yesterday. Yeah. They did, and I, that's undeniable. I think Scottish Labour need to really revisit that question. You know, Do they believe in independence? Or just simply, much simpler than that, do they believe in having that question? Within yeah. their own party, I mean, I'm not talking about another referendum, but I think it's time for Scottish Labour to have a, a period of introspection and they, they ask the question themselves. Are we a party that will allow this conversation to happen? Yeah, but that, that's never going to happen. Because, I mean, if we, were to, if we were to sit down and list all the candidates that stood for right, Labour in Scotland, you'd clearly see that a lot of them were avidly against Corbyn. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think there was a bit of cognitive dissonance in a lot of people because they realised that Scottish Labour isn't a Labour but they wanted to support Corbyn. And I think people need to realise it wasn't a presidential election. Yeah. It was, constitu- it was based but on just, just because those people um, support Corbyn, it doesn't mean they would be opposed to independence. Oh, no, I'm not. There seems to be a lot of people who I are in Labour supporting yeah. independence, uh, so who are in Labour voting for Corbyn, are people who also support independence. Aye. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that <coughs> any if, if Scottish Labour was ever softened their stance on independence, it would involve a lot of entryism. And stuff yeah. to actually turn that but over the start, way Corbyn did. You're starting did. to see that though. You're starting to see like a lot. There. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the the, the Corbyn elements. Like tw- I think twenty of the fifty nine Labour candidates were Corbynites. Um, so they are, and they're also. I've heard that they're close to taking over the Scottish Executive Committee of Labour. Wow. So I mean, you've actually got a situation where uh, the momentum candidates, the Corbynites, are beginning to take over Labour. And so that's so exciting for the rest of the UK now. Yeah. So exciting for the rest of U- the UK because what we've seen on in the mainstream media for the past six weeks has just been an onslaught of this country does not like Corbyn, this cur- uh, country will reject everything that he stands for, and we didn't. We absolutely didn't. And I think in the face of that, to get the result that he did... Yeah. It was a good... It defied expectations, but at the same time, like, he did lose... And that yeah. this is that this is it's it's sort of like half glass full, the way a lot of people are looking at it. It's good. It's good to look at how well he did, considering the circumstances that most of his party were attacking him mm-hmm. day in day out for well over a year, um, and that the media were just completely against him. Yeah. So given given all that, he's, he has done extraordinarily well, but he, he has also lost. But here's the thing: Corbyn lost. But so did May. She lost her mandate. Yeah. She she brought this forward to get a mandate for a hard Brexit and she's lost that mandate. And, you know, just before we sat down to record today, we were hearing May is going into um, an alliance with the DUP, which, wow, I mean, we could spend hours and hours deconstructing that and, and what that means for what that means for UK politics, what that means for international national relations at the moment. It's... For me, it's 
incredulous. It's just I can't I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. I think as well if you look at actually what sort of effect the DUP might have on on basically the UK government. Theresa May has already said that she wants to get rid of the Human Rights Act. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, she said replace it, but it's going to be replaced by a extremely mm-hmm. watered down version. Um, and if you start, if you give the DUP influence, you know these are essentially these are like fundamental Christians, people who are a core part of their ideology, a core part of their politics is what their religion is, mm-hmm. and um, looking at how that could affect, especially government policy, especially given the fact that they're replacing the Human Rights Act. Like what yeah. sort of stuff? It's not what sort of stuff is going to be included. It's what's not, not going, going to be, to be included. included. And I think again. Going back to friends and, and, and colleagues within the party, immediately everyone's saying this is a dark time for um, the LGBT community mm-hmm. and what it means for them. Because to have a to to put a party that is so against LGBT equality <clears throat> in power in our parliament in the UK, what does that say about our government? It is terrifying. And I think there needs to be questions asked, and Ruth Davidson needs to, needs to respond to this, and needs to say quickly yeah. that, that she doesn't agree. I think, as well, if you look at it in terms of um, the, the Tory party throughout history, they always stand on the wrong side of history. What was the, what, they've always been against minorities, they've always been against working people, they've always been against the LGBT community, what was that, Section 28? Um, they've always stood on the wrong side in terms of uh, minority people, uh, like for example, David Cameron and other members of the Tory party were campaigning for Nelson Mandela's hanging. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say that. When, they were, <laughs> when yep. they were when they were younger, and then you know when Nelson Mandela dies, and all of a sudden David Cameron pretends to be such a strong advocate for for social justice. So I think what you you're just seeing is a continuation of what the Tory party are for. They're not for all these different groups are for a very narrow uh, demographic within society. And they're for what will get them elected at that time. So, you know, if, if, if it's at a time where LGBTI yeah. equality is going to get them elected, then hey, yeah, they'll back it. But now the DUP are going to prop them up, so that's that's what they're going to go down. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think that's a, a, a kind of stark reminder of what the Tories are. Um, certainly not principled. They certainly don't want to radically change lives and alleviate poverty. And we can see that through their austerity agenda, at least. But and again, I really seriously doubt if their government is going to be functional at all. When they're, they don't, they obviously don't have a majority. And with the DUP, even then, it's still thin. And I, I, the reason why I think this is interesting is because there's been a lot of articles and stuff saying that this could be the chance to fight, but this kind of fight back of the Remainers down south. Because it'd be so easy to beat the government on any vote to do with the EU. Yeah. Because you literally need a few rebels, and there is rebels. Yeah, and it used to be the rebels were you know Brexit rebels and the Conservative Party, but now, now the rebels are Remain rebels, so it was so easy to beat the the government position on loads of different things. And even with the DUP, it's a majority of two. That's one exactly. resignation. You know, that's one by election. This is not sustainable. And I'm I'm interested to see how the negotiations go forward. Um, we're here in Junker say today. We we need to speak to someone. Where's the strong and stable leadership when you've got the president of the um, the EU coming forward and, and, and saying that he needs to speak to someone? I think that's madness. Yeah, Donald Tusk made the point, um, obviously, he's the president of the council and he says that, you know, the, the actual time it takes to do these negotiations, that's limited. Mm-hmm. So any time that we, we're wasting finding out who the government, government uh, who the government's going to be, you know, these negotiations start in 11 days. 
you know, that's not a lot of time for this new government to form and get organised. It's never going to happen. And we're never going to forget, these negotiations start in 11 days, and just before that, May lost her mandate to do it the way she wanted. Exactly, yeah. And, and yet she's still going to do it without that mandate. I, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really un- actually understand the argument when she says that but she wanted to have another election in order to strengthen her hand or strengthen her mandate um, because at the end of the day the parliament has to vote on it and the, any decisions that's made is made by a small group of people so things like the different ministers that are related to the Brexit negotiations will actually be leading the negotiations and they'll be trying to get something and they'll be, they'll be bringing it back either way it has to have the approval of parliament so I actually don't get the argument that it somehow strengthens her hand. I think she was probably paranoid um, from people in her own party because, you know, as they say, the Tory party is an absolute monarchy tempered by regicide. Yeah. You know, yeah. someone is always going out to take you out of your position. Um, so I think she was obviously wanting to have a big majority there and then, you know, that will carry her on, you know, for at least five years. Obviously, that's, that kind of, that, you know, that's all in question now. What does that leave her? How much of it do you think is personal pride for her? It's, I think she's a, a, an intriguing character. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who she is or, or where she stands. I think a lot of it for her was she was an unelected Prime Minister. She wanted to be an elected Prime Minister. Yeah. Yeah, and judging from Theresa May's kind of language that in the Tories, in the kind of language that the Tories were using during the campaign, they seem to be making this kind of grab for a kind of vague, populist, democratic absolutism, which has been totally kind of rejected at the ballot box because she really wanted to have absolutely no opposition within her own party, but also in Parliament uh, and even on the media level, which is what makes it even more dangerous. The British public have rejected that, and I think that's something that we need to recognise. But what she's got is, instead of you know, you're kind of saying about consensus, what she's got is the exact opposite. I mean, there's not even consensus within the two political parties now, Labour and the Conservatives. We're pretty sure that we're going to see a leadership race in, in either one of them. What what do you think are the chances of seeing a leadership race in uh, Labour or the Tories? There's definitely going to be one in Labour, um, just for the very fact that Ugh. Jeremy Corbyn, even though he did make huge gains. Um, and did a lot better than people expected them to. There's the Blairites will be sharpening their knives. Yeah, they'll use it to, as an excuse to say that there's a time for a, a change in leadership. I think Jeremy Corbyn uh, will stay on, and I think he should stay on, mm-hmm. but if it does come to a leadership election and Jeremy Corbyn, uh, I don't know, say some by some freak occurrence, his name becomes mud, I think momentum are too big in Labour now that they would have another candidate lined up to be the, the, the left-wing candidate in the in the race. Yeah, I suppose I have kind of two points on that. I'm not convinced that the Blairites are you know quite ready to stab them back at this point because if you actually look at Alistair Carmichael, I've been saying, and then even people at like Ed Miliband, they've all actually been really happy with, with, with his performance in this. Whether that means he'll stick by him, I don't know. I'm not going to make any predictions. Um, but like further to that, Part of me thinks that one problem uh, to with the momentum uh, movement, and you kind of see it to a lesser extent, I think, in America with Bernie Sanders, is there was it kind of is a, a bit a bit too much about one person, mm. and I worry, and this is a genuine worry coming from empathy for leftists in England, um, that they've put all the stakes on Jeremy Corbyn, and if he makes a mistake or goes wrong, then you know where's the next person coming from? Yeah, it's all about succession. You know where is the next person coming from, and I think that's a question that every political party uh, is asking themselves at the moment, including yeah. us. What, what, what Labour MP has, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's voting record uh, and being on the right side on a lot of different things, um, but has qualities of leadership? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I can't answer that. Yeah, I can't answer that. 
I mean, in terms of people and and momentum, I know that the likes of uh, Rebecca Long Bailey has been suggested. I've saw a lot of stuff about yeah. you about all these different uh, people who would be sort of in the running. But a lot of the people you don't actually like. You don't. Uh, there's a lot of the things we forget is there's a lot of Labour MPs. There's a lot of them who are in the party that you just don't know. About yeah. You don't get the same exposure. Exactly. If you if you're in Scotland, because we've got a lot uh, fewer. Um, MPs and MSPs that we tend to know more of them but you know the likes of Jeremy Corbyn had any of us heard of Jeremy Corbyn before he ran for the leadership election yes. I mean yeah I'd heard him yeah I'd heard of him I'd, like, Hillary Benn and aye. that kind of yeah socialist labour yeah definitely heard of him I'd never heard of Jeremy Corbyn but I'd heard of other ones like John McDonnell and it yeah. seemed to and Diane Abbott Diane Abbott's a famous one but I think Jeremy Corbyn he, he has always been there in terms of the Iraq war and things like that but I don't think he's had anywhere near amount the same uh, exposure as the other left-leaning people within Labour. Maybe not our generation. I think you know. I think my mum would definitely know who he was. I think my, you know, my grandfather definitely knew who he was. Yeah. You know, that's it's yeah. Maybe not our generation. I think this is probably emblematic. But like the only reason I ever knew who he was is because I was reading um, some books and some old articles about um, Nelson Mandela, and he was somebody that always came up as being a vocal supporter. Um, and even that then he was always you know he was always just cited as being a backbench MP he was never taken that seriously but that's the only reason why I recognised his name when I heard he was going for leadership I was like it clicked in my head I was like oh yeah that's that guy but for us like you need to remember is that we are a very you know we are we, we're weird sad. we're, we're weird. weird yeah <laughs> that yeah. you know politics is what we do day in day out yeah. for your average voter for your average person oh I suppose I, I'm not trying to refute that not, point yeah, sorry <laughs> if you meant that then absolutely they're not, they're not going to know though. who he is but they'll know who other people like Hillary uh, Hillary Benn not Hillary Benn Tony, Tony Benn Tony Benn and uh, Hillary Benn is very unlike his father <laughs> <laughs> did I say Hillary Benn before I think you did I don't know, obviously meant Hillary Benn <laughs> um, so uh, compared to these figures so I can't actually see like you say who would who would replace him but there's always these people who are waiting in the wings there's always these people who are ready to come forward the only reason why we don't know who a lot of them are is because there's so many of them Mm. can we make a let's like just just for um just for fun really if Theresa may was to resign tomorrow who do you think would run Boris Johnson. Who do you think would run? Boris Johnson. Who yeah. do you want to run? Definitely not Boris Johnson. De- definitely just no one. Yeah. That's it. Anyone but Boris. Yeah. Aye. And I no, think I think Boris Johnson would go. Andrea Leadsom might, might be Amber Rudd as well, maybe. Would she oh, do which... it again? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think after the last one, she kind of... I don't, I don't think she covered herself in glory, in glory no. with her last performance. I think she came across as quite um, incompetent in that she's probably never going to be leader and I doubt she'd run for it again. It's like you're describing me. <laughs> it's literally like you're describing me. Um, yeah, thinking about who would go for it. I mean, you still get Philip Hammond. I don't know. Well, apparently he's, um, as we discussed this, is apparently um, maybe getting the chop from the cabinet. cabinet. Yeah. Aye. That reshuffle will be funny. And again, you'll be looking into that reshuffle for indications of <coughs> exactly what, what kind of party they're going to be. It's, yeah, a scary, scary party in bed with the DUP at the moment. Weirdly, though, I quite like Theresa May um, being the Tory leader because she's so incompetent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's, it's quite fun watching no. her fail miserably on a regular basis. Like, mm. today, that speech outside, outside 10 Downing Street, where she basically just repeated her election, the, the first official election address she did... Um, 
no questions, unable to think on her feet, unable to to answer the public, just completely yeah. incompetent. And like Theresa May's airtime and then the value of the pound are like inversely proportional to each other. It's like the more <laughs> times, the more time she. No, I'm not making that as a claim. No, but I'm saying the more time, the, I think the more you see her on TV, the more likely there's going to be some sort of trouble in Britain, which is going to make her pints and holiday more expensive. Which makes you think who's actually running the Conservative Party? You know how how much power does she have? Because power and control are not the same thing, as we know. Um, you know, is is she just a puppet that's been played by the wider party to to get us through this horrific time, and then she's going to be chopped at the end of it? Who knows? Who knows? But just on the front of the the election result, obviously with the the SNP, we've lost twenty one seats. Was it overall? Was that the final final tally? Um, or are we on thirty five? I think we're on thirty five. Yeah. yeah. Um, you were you were at the the count? Glasgow count, yeah. Yep. How did that go? I mean, obviously in Glasgow it's a it's incredibly bittersweet because we did win. We lost Anne McLaughlin who um I mean I know Anne McLaughlin through the work she does, the the, the localised uh, campaigns that she runs, she's just an incredible or was an incredible MP and I think I don't know what happened there, but um I, I think we can put it down a bit to Corbyn. But we did return um we did return everyone else. Um, Chris Stevens is in, Alison Lewis is in. David Linden. David Linden, former YSI convener, um, and young young guy, just brilliant. Do you know what I would say? If if anyone, I don't know if you can watch it, but the speeches that were delivered last night were inspiring to me. The speeches that were delivered um, when they all uh, accepted being re-elected, it was so inspiring. They were all talking about social justice. They were all talking about why they were originally put there to, to speak for Scotland, to advocate on behalf of people that traditionally have never been listened to in Westminster. And they all get it. You know, Westminster yeah. hasn't changed them. Westminster hasn't tainted them. They know why they're there. And, yeah, coming back to just losing people like Angus Robertson, no one can de- deny week after week he smashed it. It, it yeah. questions and to lose him is gonna be is gonna be hard. It's gonna be really hard to lose Alex Salmond is gonna be hard. But then, with people like Alex Salmond and Angus Robertson, they will bounce back. They mm. they will have a platform somewhere else. Someone like Anne McLaughlin, you know, to keep doing the work she's doing. I really hope she's allowed to somewhere somehow because. She's going to be such a loss to our communities, not not just our yeah. party. Well, she was actually my um, my local MP up to last night. She I actually voted for her mm-hmm. uh, on polling day, and I, I know a lot of the work that um, that Anne does locally and nationally. She was the civil civil rights spokesperson for the SNP down in Westminster. You know something that's really important, especially as we were just saying earlier about the the Tories um, want to get rid of the Human Rights Act and with the DUP thrown into the mix so it's, it's one of these areas that is going to become increasingly more important the battleground um, yeah, yeah in the years to come and, and human rights is one of those things that people don't realise how important they are it's something that's yeah. sort of taken taken yeah. for granted it's like you know things like the right to life the the prohibition of torture these sorts of things and I think a lot of people don't actually realise what people had to go through to get to this point where they had these rights enshrined and had to be respected. Yeah, or everything like... these decisively being taken away from us. Aye. It's dangerous. But I was actually, I was at the, the North Lanarkshire count mm. where we took three, we, we held three seats and lost one. Uh, and it was sort of the same in a lot of the Central Belt seats where it was, um, where it was SNP versus the Tories. Uh, no, sorry, Labour rather. 
and again that's the that I think that's the, the Corbin the Corbin effect where a lot of people you know because he's because he is a UK wide politician I, fe- I feel that and it's a two party system that the Tories and Labour soak up a lot of the oxygen of their time mm-hmm. yeah. so and the SNP has always done a lot worse uh, the general elections are doing Scottish elections because they're predominantly a, a, you know uh, focusing on Scottish issues so actually seeing the the results in, in North Lanarkshire reflected it in Central Scotland so it's good that we got three out of the four returned but I think one question that needs to be asked especially when we consider the realignment of the heartlands for the SNP is where does the SNP go from here I think we're quite lucky right now that we have when's the next election going to be? 2021 trying really hard not to think about it 2021 I think that's the Scottish elections yeah it'll be the Scottish so 2021 so there's a fair few years um, I think we'll all appreciate the break especially for an activist uh, a fair few years before the next election so there's there's plenty of time in there for the SNP to, to look internally see what needs fixed see what can be improved on see what we're doing right yeah and you know, expand ourselves as a party and start take stock because we've had election after yeah. election referendum yeah. sprung and on we us. We need it, and it, you know, it's 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 not a it's not a put down of the SNP. It's just a, a, a statement of the circumstances. Yeah. We have had election after election. We will welcome a time just to pause, to think, to restructure, to regroup, and say right, what worked, what didn't. We really haven't had time to do that since the referendum. It's mm. it's been relentless. Um, and, and if anyone thinks that we could do that at a time of election after election, absolutely we couldn't. We, we were mm. constantly thinking about, about the next fight, the next battleground, where we would be, who would be standing, what would our key messages be, what, what did we have to think about. You couldn't afford to invest the energy in, yeah. in doing that sort of stuff. And I think that showed last night when you're asking me how it was in, in Glasgow. We were exhausted. Mm-hmm. We were absolutely exhausted. Like, campaigners who 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 are so good at doing this just on their last last leg like they were exhausted and I think people are you know I I, I there was a sudden realization when I came home last night that I was like I don't have to go out campaigning this weekend <laughs> you know what and then I genuinely thought what am I gonna do it's like we we're talking about being these weird people that are just surrounded yeah, by politics I was like I might go to the gym I might go a jog I might Bake banana loaf. I don't know. Like I might do. You I was know. actually. Oh, how out, exciting my life is! <laughs> I was actually out canvassing in in Motherwell, and um, I had a. I was absolutely drenched. I was soaked through. Um, I put on about a stone just from water that was soaked into my jacket, <laughs> and uh, I knocked on a woman's door, and it was torrential rain, and she was like, "I was like, oh, I hope the weather clears up and all the rest of it." So I'm gonna be chat with her, and then she went, "Ah, but you'll still be getting paid." Yeah. And, and I was, I was like, I was like, what? And she was like, I'm still getting paid. I was like, no, I do this voluntarily. Yeah. And she sort of looked at me like I was mental. <laughs> like so, I was willing to spend my spare time actually out knocking doors in the pouring rain and getting soaked through to my skin. That's quite strange, isn't it? The yeah, exact same thing. When you boil it down, it's really strange. The exact same thing was said to me last night at the count. So there was a girl there from a political party who's paid to be there as an election agent. She's paid quite a considerable amount of money um, to organise... Is it the party? I think it is. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But she's paid a considerable (coughs) amount of money to be there as an election agent. um, And I I, I don't know how many, you know, candidates they have per election agents, but they pay them. And I kind of said in passing, oh, you know, we do this for free. 
And the look on her face where she realised that we were there out of our own time. Yeah. Where we've got no incentive to do it other than, you know, to, to put strong people down in Westminster. Yeah. That is our incentive. We're not driven by money here. Mm. We're driven by making sure that, that um, Scotland's voice is heard and, and we have progressive policies for Scotland. Uh, yeah, it was a very strange moment where she just looked at me and nothing really was said, but the look said it all, where she just finally yeah. realised that I was there for, for my principles, not, not for my... Not from a purse. We're in other Scottish parties, I suppose. Yeah. Because they don't have this group of enthusiastic people ready to chat mm. doors. That's true. I think that's that's one of the best assets of the SNP is actually we're activist base. Yep. Whereas, you know, Labour have got money from the trade unions, the Tories have uh, the media and big corporate donors. The, our biggest asset is people who are willing to, to go out and, um, and knock doors and... Uh, post leaflets through letterboxes but what I've seen and it's in, it's it's happening more and more every single election is that like you were saying people are just getting exhausted mm-hmm. you're starting to see activist numbers and uh, branches yeah. dwindle because I think part of it is because there isn't the same buzz like there has been in 2014 and 2015 and then 2016 yeah. it's just getting lower and lower and also people are just exhausted but also so this is the thing I'm a big uh, believer in for in order for people to organise you need a cause and, oh, and right now, they're, they're, you know, I think it was hard to find a cause other than we hate the Tories. You know, that was a, a motivator. Yeah. What's our causes now? What are we going on to talk about? What, what will we be talking about within the next few months in Scotland? I think, personally, what I think we should be talking about is um, more powers for the Scottish Parliament. Devolution. I think we've got, <clears throat> you've got that, if, if you're starting to get a lot more left-wing influence in the Labour Party, You've got the Greens who are there and you've got the SNP. There's a lot that can be done there in terms of what we can do in Scotland to, to, to change things up here. And I think the party's um, has done that to a large extent. And I think we can now look forward and, like we were saying, how we've got a lot more time to talk about policy now. We've got a lot more time to mm-hmm. talk about things internally. So some of the things that the SNP youth are doing, like talking about raising the age of armed forces recruitment to 18, uh, looking at the the Thai campaign inclusive education for LGBT people, the, the guys of which we're hoping to get on the podcast soon. Um, so, so actually focusing on these things, and because we don't have the campaign now, we can invest our energy in talking about policy mm-hmm. and and trying to open up the party's mechanisms to the mass membership and getting people involved. People because there's a lot of people who have got a lot of talents in the party. Oh, people yeah. fit all walks of life. Yeah, we're actually ridiculously talented. And, and it's, if you don't say so, we <laughs> as, as a party. That, that sounds like me. I was just saying, like, as a party, like, we actually do have such a breadth of talent right up and down the country. Exactly. Like, yeah. It can be underestimated. And we need, we need to use it. And like Rhiannon's saying, we've got all these people who are willing to... Like, I'm sure I speak for all of us here. Like, politics has actually completely enveloped our lives. Yeah. Everything we do on a day to day basis is politics. It's constant. And we're doing it for free because we believe we've got a vision for how we think things can be. And we want to spend more time trying to achieve that. And you know, listen to you talking right now. There's the enthusiasm back already. Like yeah, we just talked about how exhausting we are. And but I, that's what I'm saying. You need a cause. You need something to get excited about. And I think this is going to be such a good time for us just to pause, take a breath, say, "Great, elections over." And now let's get back to policy. Let's get back to what we believe in. Let's get back to changing lives and making our society the best it can be. I am so excited. Right. Yeah, and also given the fact, as we were saying, like with with the kind of wafer fin majority that that Theresa May has down south with the DUP, you know, we can actually make big differences down south. Yeah. You know, in, in a way that we haven't been able to do in the past. So you know, progress up here, you know, and halting the 
you know the march of Theresa May down south. I think one of the things that and it's always really really irritated me about British politics in particular is how especially in Scotland how tribal things can be. Mm-hmm. I feel like with the, after the twenty fourteen referendum, there's you know th- this tribal mentality has just increased so much. I think uh, any party if they can find common ground with other people should be able to work together to develop those ideas. I don't think it's it's helpful to be extremely partisan and, and basically you know things like uh, education I think in Finland they all uh, all the parties uh, sit down together and they have a, an in-depth discussion about education because it's just one of those things that everyone agrees that all of our children need to be properly educated yeah. so uh, I, I feel that especially in the Scottish Parliament when you've got a voting system where it's, it's near impossible to get a majority it was specifically designed that way. Mm-hmm. Can you see Scottish Labour moving beyond that partisanship? I'd, well, this is the thing. Scottish Labour is very different from Corbyn's Labour. I think Corbyn's Labour would be more than happy to work with the SNP. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, Scottish Labour less so. Yeah, I, I, think in the Scot- I think in the Scottish <laughs> Parliament we're still going to have a lot of polarisation. I think we're still going to oh, have definitely. Scottish Labour opposing us for the sake of opposing us. Um, the problem is, a lot of the people... But we have a majority. A lot of the people, with the exception of... Uh, a few others in the Scottish Labour MSP group, mm-hmm. most of them are like sort of Blairite, and yeah. a lot of the you know it, it might start to change. Yeah, and if you look at like so like Kezia Dugdale, Kezia Dugdale is probably going to be claiming today is a great victory for Scottish Labour, aren't I great? It was Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Kezia Dugdale had absolutely nothing to do with and it, and she, she all of a sudden loves yeah. Corbyn. The thing exactly. is, she wasn't claiming it as a victory for you know Scottish Labour on the on the basis of radical progressive policy. Mm. It was based on on Scottish unionism was yeah. what it was on, and that's just not true. She doesn't yeah, understand her own base. True, yeah. I was I was actually walking out of the the North Lanarkshire account last night, and I won't say his name, but I overheard a senior Labour politician basically saying uh, Corbyn Corbyn won as that. Corbyn won us these seats in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. You've, seen big, in you've seen big swings to a few uh, Labour um, candidates who were actually actively working against them. And we covered that before, but yeah. you know, I think we should take stock of that. Um, you know, we need to. We, I mean, we should probably articulate the fact that Scottish Labour, are, you know, they still aren't the same mm. as UK Labour. I think if you look at actually why Labour did so well in, in so many of the constituencies, is well, part of it is like other things like the SNP have been in government for so long. Um, I, I think the, you know, the referendum might have had a tiny bit to do with it, um, more so for the Conservative vote than the Labour vote. <coughs> but we need to start looking at, well, what can we learn from what Labour did? Because Labour made huge. Labour have a similar message to the SNP in social justice. Mm-hmm. A lot of the policies are the same. So many of them in the Labour manifesto. Yeah. We're stolen. We're not stolen because I don't think any. Well, no, there's things we've already delivered on. Yeah, on. We've already done. Yeah. yeah. And just, to, just sorry, interrupt. <coughs> people keep talking about this as if this is a bad thing that they've stole it, but like it's it's Brilliant. obviously a good thing. And yeah. you know, imitations is serious form of flattery, as they say. And also, Scotland can act as a kind of beacon for what what is what's the potential for the rest of the UK. Do you yeah. know what I mean? In in the free education, you know, you hear this thing: oh, we're subsidised. No, we're not, and we still have free education. We do it well, and I think you know. I would love to get behind Corbyn in a rollout of free education in the rest of the UK. Yeah. That's something that we could we could work together on and work together on it very well Absolutely. because we've been doing it for the last decade. And this is I think this goes back to one of the things that um, like Sir Tommy Shepherd was saying about how SNP MPs are more friends of Corbyn oh, no, than a lot of the Blairite Labour mm-hmm. yeah. candidates would have been. So it's actually a situation, and this this is this is going to pose a problem for the for the SNP because we've got two. Um, 
competing parties who essentially have the same message fighting over the same seats. So it's going to be, um, you know, a, a real battle between it because mm. if Corbyn stays on and or if he doesn't, and a momentum can, can yeah. another leader comes in, then that message is still going to continue. It's still going yeah. to be something that we all have to deal with. There's two differences I would, I would kind of identify between the SNB and Scottish Labour. Is obviously that I think that the SNB is is sincere in its beliefs. I think a lot of Scottish Labour, especially its MSPs, are you know cynically they'll change their language to suit whatever campaign has happened. They'll you know do whatever they have to. Um, they think to win more votes. I'm not I'm not convinced that all of them genuinely believe in the in that vision that they're trying to articulate. Mm-hmm. And then the second point is that is I don't see their end game because you could have you could Jeremy Corbyn could be in power for you know two yeah. terms, but in the end of the day, it still means a Tory government will yeah. eventually win. Exactly. And that's the problem. The UK is a broken system. And we we will always articulate the case, you know, for independence. And really, and I think what independence for me just personally has become is the fact that I don't want to be attached, chained to this paranoid and anxious former global power, which is, yes. and, that, and that is coming through yes. in everything we see in down, uh, down south. And it's just, with, an... you know, rising populism, rising racism, all these different, really, you know, things we need to recognise has been extremely dangerous. It's a narrative of power for power's sake. I think we're seeing that with May, her strong and stable message. What did it mean? It was just a power grab. It was just, vote for me because I will be strong and stable. It's not vote for me because I'll improve your life. Don't Mm. vote for me because I'm going to decrease poverty and I'm going to increase people in work. You know, it it was none of that. It was vote for me because I'm strong and stable. It was vote for me because I want to be in power and I think I'm better than him. Whereas Jeremy Corbyn actually said, hang on a minute, I want to improve your life yeah. and here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's exciting for people. That it, 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 it gets people thinking about what could be rather than what was, which is yeah. exactly what you're talking about. I think if you actually look at like, so we, Theresa May, you know, that strong and stable mantra she kept uh, going on about, it sort of feels like the Americanisation or further Americanisation of our politics. I was going to bring you this know, up. These, these really cheap leader debates that are really superficial and you just you know you just you skim about, Rory? <laughs> <laughs> you just skim the surface of uh, these big issues yeah. and if you actually look at what's happening with the direction that politics in the UK is going for me it's not something that I want to be a part of it's another reason why I believe in independence yeah. that we don't have to be a part of this yeah. there's an alternative way of doing things one thing I always say to a lot of people who are who are considering voting who are pro independence and considering voting for Jeremy Corbyn I'd say Jeremy Corbyn is for 5 years independence is forever yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. I mean it comes back to the principle that you know Scotland as a country country should be independent and you know that's what it comes down to it seems academic when you try and discuss it with people but the thing is like, that's like that is our principle I think to live by I don't necessarily think that because something's a, a country that it should necessarily be independent as well, country's not a particular... All right, okay, well, I mean, they should have the right to self-determination. Oh, I definitely. Like, I think you can phrase it in certain ways. It then gets, it then gets you know, a bit complicated because then, well, what do you define a nation as? Who has a right to... Well, it's a, it that's s- the point I make, is it's that, self-determination. It's sort of self-determined that. as a nation. And because we are a nation, I think we are better to run ourselves rather than have someone else run us. Yeah. In, in virtue, they have more population than us. Even if we made the wrong decisions, it's still right that we make our own wrong decisions. And that's the principle that independence is based on. I think if you look at like independence, though, it feels like a sort of. I, I know there's a lot of people like um, you know people who are Scottish nationalists, not like right wing nationalists, but people who genuinely believe in the idea of like the Scottish nation. I think for me, my 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 personal view towards independence is a sort of non nationalism. It's nationalism, but it's not. 
it's the idea that we recognise that Scotland is an area that can self-identify as a nation, but it's not about being. You don't need to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I was part better. of that nation. You, would, you could say, "Well, I'm I'm French." Aye, but I would still, you know, aye. But I would, I would, multinational. Yeah, rather. I would clarify by saying I'm talking about nation as a unit of complexity, as a unit of organisation in the world. You know, not necessarily a sense of culture or ethnicity. That, and I think that's yeah. obviously the SNB is a civic nationalist party. And uh, I think we all that's a whole different podcast. We can really have a discussion about that. Yeah, we should. We should, we should have a discussion yeah. about it because I think it's it's an interesting discussion. You know what what does nationalism mean to us? Because it's it's very different. Um, I'd quite like to kind of touch on the kind of the international kind of context that now we see the UK in. What, what do we think the you know the negotiations are? What do we, what do we think is going to happen? I mean, I, I, I mean, I sent a tweet earlier saying that I think Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel are probably sitting in a room gutting themselves right now. <laughs> yeah. Aye. Because Theresa May has you know she has nothing to play. I she think she's, she's got egg on her face. She's completely misjudged this whole election. I bet she regrets it now. She oh, definitely, yeah, definitely regrets the, it. The picture that will be flying around all the news shelves internationally will be the picture of of her and Trump holding hands in the White House. That is what she represents. Yeah. You know, Trump is a farcical leader and that is what May has brought us as well. You know, yeah. that 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 partnership is very emblematic of May's leadership in 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 Westminster. Yeah. We're moving I think we're moving towards a kind of a more coherent Europe based on kind of liberal social democratic principles. And you know, and that's the kind of thing I want to see Scotland being actively engaged with in the future. You know, I've got no interest in this kind of Anglo-American paranoia that we see. Yeah, but I mean, I think though you need to look. I mean, for myself personally, um, I voted to remain. But there's a lot of things like you're saying about what the EU is founded on. There's a lot of things that a lot of people who voted remain. You know, like they're like, okay, we voted to leave or not to bother. Do you know what I mean? Like, what I'm talking about is in a national context, though. I'm talking about the yeah. fact that you have Emmanuel Macron and Merkel. Literally, they're strategically moving towards accepting that. You know, and, and putting themselves as the kind of leaders of the free world, as the kind of, yeah. you know, as social democratic liberals, and that kind of that kind of wavelength, and that's the kind of politics that uh, like the, uh, that. What I see Scotland align with, not with this kind of dangerous politics we see. I think even then it's not enough. It doesn't. I think, by I, way, think, it, I think the reason why we're in this situation where we're having the likes of um, far right views like UKIP and the, the the Tory party going to the to the far right, and why we're having Labour going polarising to the left. Is because of this sort of soft, middle of the road uh, politics that is causing a lot of people frustration. This <clears throat> idea that okay, we'll have neoliberalism and then we'll have uh, some a, a small welfare state. That this is the reason why we're in this position, and it's not going to. I not, mean, it's not. Um, it's not going to be sustainable. I mean, you seem to be confusing what I'm saying with neoliberalism. What I'm saying is, but what they're offering is that they are offering that they're not offering. You know, they're not changing anything. The, the things that they're offering are no. things that have been on the table for thirty odd years. Yeah, but the uh, but the actual decisions that Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron make in their own countries are you know are you know they can be neoliberal if they want and stuff, but it's to do with the outlook on the rest of the world. And you if you have, you know, you have people like them standing up for kind of enlightenment values, and that's and that's a positive thing. There's no dressing that up. You know, you can't. I mean, I think you know. Every, every country has its right to self-determination, to choose its own government, to choose its own leadership. Um, but, you know, it, that's but that's the point I make, is that I want to see Scotland align with a kind of a European-centred, kind of based on 
on those kind of principles rather than what we've seen America being really paranoid and UK being really paranoid I, th- I think you're looking at one aspect of one of the things that they're offering they are they no but I'm looking at this I'm looking at this in relation to the to the, to last night's result and how Theresa May has yeah. lost his, lost her position in relation to the European Union and to Merkel and Macron I totally get it that the EU isn't perfect I completely get that but I'd rather be holding hands with Macron and Merkel than Trump. You know, yeah. I'd rather be in there exactly. influencing, but rather in there yeah, saying, you know, okay, maybe let's try something else other than the neoliberal ways that you've been spreading for the past 30 years, like Gav said. I'd love to be able to do that. We can't do that while May is pursuing a hard Brexit and creating allies with Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and I suppose as much as, and as much as what it's to do with policy eh, and values, it's, it's really is to do with geopolitics as well. Yeah. And who who you're aligning yourself with in an era, in an age when America is being becoming more inward looking, yeah. because you don't want to be attached to America and in, in the UK when they are becoming more inward looking, uh-huh. especially in a world that's becoming more globalized and there's nothing much you can do to stop that. Well, this has been on since the 1980s. That um, since like the, the the rise of the the new right, like I feel like the new right is, or as they like to call themselves, the alt right, um, which is just a complete smokescreen for what they actually are. Um, it's been happening since the 1980s and as you were saying America is becoming more inward looking look at the UK it's becoming more inward looking whereas you're saying Macron and Merkel are more of an outward international perspective yeah. there is the, there is this these two competing ideas of you know sort of statism and internationalism and I feel that I don't necessarily think all aspects of statism are bad I think there's a lot of good things like protecting your, your, your local economy but I think how it's been utilised by the far right is they take working class problems and apply right wing solutions Yeah, I mean it's also the context like the, <coughs> the, the, the right, not even just the far right I mean it's in the UK and in the US are, are, are kind of, they're wanting to implement this in a hostile kind of, in a hostile context whereas I'd imagine, you know a left wing government in the UK would implement these decisions in a way that was pragmatic and you know, based on consensus um, so I mean, and that really comes back to, and that really comes back to like what Scottish independence is. It's outward looking, uh-huh, and that's definitely. what. And I want to see Scotland playing its part in Europe and in the wider world, trading with the rest of the world, working together with people who want to work with us. You know, people in Theresa May's government, and that they cannot say that. Yeah, I feel it's it's they're they're, they're diverting their anger towards the wrong people. They're diverting it towards uh, immigrants. They're diverting it mm. towards someone who hasn't asked us the 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 enemy. Um, out with us there's, you know, uh, yeah at first you know it was the communists yeah. during the cold war and now it's terrorists these are the yeah. people, these are the bogeymen who are coming to get you and don't get me wrong terrorism does as does pose a real threat to people um i was actually i was in uh, london when the the attack happened in parliament yeah and so it is a threat but it's like <coughs> people have diverting their anger towards people who actually have no reason to do with the absolutely nothing to do with the problems that they're experiencing. Where they should be diverting their, their anger and their frustration is towards people like the Tories and the people who they represent. Yeah. The big business owners who are the real reason why wages haven't increased, yeah. why services are being cut and privatised. Oh, they're I can't remember what was that sticker I saw. It was like, don't... Um your wages, don't blame anyone else for your wages not increasing, it's your boss's fault. Exactly, like, like, yeah. was it you, Is it you that has that? I don't no, know. I don't but it's not me. It's like, basically, it's like, if your wages aren't increasing, it's because someone's making a lot of money yeah, exactly, somewhere. Exactly, like, It's not because of, um, it's not because of migrants taking your jobs, it's because your boss won't increase your wage. Yeah. And, and, and to she, bring it back to the, sorry, Rory, to bring it back to the election, like, I mean, 
I don't like to call it populism because it isn't really, populism implies that it's it's kind of dumb and you know it isn't well thought out. It's like popular politics, which is based on people being engaged and knowing what they're talking about. We saw that in two thousand fourteen when the Spanish referendum, and I think we saw it, you know, last night to a lesser extent. Um, and I think it's a positive thing. Yeah, I'm excited about talk moving forward to talking about policy, and I think this podcast will be a kind of great platform to talk about all those things that we've just said that we're going to get excited about. So I'm looking forward to recording. Um, more in in the coming weeks and months about our vision for Scotland, our vision for this chaotic time and and what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is we're in a real period of um, instability where anything could really happen, and it's it is a good time for you know for radical things to happen, radical change, and radical policies. So get involved. Get involved. Sounds like a good place to end things. Then. Brilliant. So we'll finish with a wee reminder that YesCast is brought to you by the members of. The YSI, the Young Scots for Independence, the youth wing of the SNP. This week's episode was recorded by Gavin Lundy, Rory Steele and myself, Rhiannon Spear, and produced and edited by Gavin Lundy.